0: Following last Sunday, I wanted to follow up with a what now service, sermon. In fact, I've written today's message really for those couple hundred who raised their hands, but it's a message for all of us. I've titled the message, I've met Jesus, now what? Anybody meet somebody new and you're like, okay, I don't know how to be friends with you now. I remember when Stephanie and I started hanging out, I was real interested in friendship fast and she was like, "Ah, I don't want to talk to you yet. So... (laughs) Every new relationship needs some new experience and some new guardrails and boundaries and all that kind of expectation stuff. I remember the night I said yes to Jesus. It was Halloween of my senior year, 17, the first year I didn't trick or treat, don't judge me. But I was invited to a church event with a a girl that I went to school with and she was in my music class with me and, and my motive was really simple. She was cute and asked me and so I said yes. I had no idea that I was gonna have my life wrecked forever when I met Jesus. But at at that event at a church, I heard the gospel clearly, and I was given the choice to follow Jesus or live my own way, and the end of that is very, very um, real and very not good. It's an eternity apart from God in hell. That night, I committed my life to Jesus Christ, and what was different that night is I said, I'll never turn back from you, Lord, never. I prayed with an elderly man, a church volunteer, and that next Sunday morning, I started going to church. Now, I had a Bible that I was given uh, by a friend, another girl that I knew in in choir. Uh, Many of you know I was a music student in college, and so choir was a big deal for me in high school. Nothing like a 6'6", 265 pound, back of the choir guy. my coach hated my guts. But anyway, I had, a, I had a Bible that I got from this girl that uh, she and I were dating and talking or whatever, and she dumped me and gave me a Bible. <laughs> in the same visit. Like we were, she goes, hey, I wanna meet with you. And I thought that's a new way to term a date. I just thought, hey, I was going to date. Anyway, so we meet up and she said, I just have really, you know, you're a good friend, whatever. And I got you something, it's in a bag. I was like, oh, great, I love gifts, you know, I'm a gifts guy. And she gives me, it's a Bible, I was like, Thank you. And she said, I really need to date someone who's in church. And I was like, Who is he? What's his name? I'm telling you, I was mad. I thought it was someone in particular. But she said, No, I need to date someone who loves Jesus. And she dumped me. And I remember getting angry at her, thinking, You hypocrite. You should, you know, whatever. But honestly, it was one of the wisest things she ever did for her own life. And let me just pause and say to all of you, especially if you're dating somebody, you really want to know. That you're pursuing someone who loves Christ and will grow in love with Jesus with you. And so let me just encourage to anyone who's dating or maybe even engaged, if you're if you're seeing someone who doesn't love the Lord as much or more than you, pump the brakes really hard. Like pump the brakes really hard. And, and listen, I know you might say, but I love him, I love her, she's good to me. That's fine, great, I get all of that. But I promise you, the 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 long-term view of what I'm telling you will save you a ton of heartache. Now, if you're in a relationship committed, you're married, let's say, and, and, and you're, I'm not asking you to dump anybody, right? The apostle Paul actually talks about this in first Corinthians six and seven on rules for marriage. And like, now that you're a Christian, how to be married in, in Christ. And if you're in a relationship with someone who's not a follower of Jesus, I'm not asking you to, to make any breakups here. I am asking you to pray like crazy, be super kind in Jesus name, invite your spouse to church because there's nothing like growing closer together with Jesus in the middle of that relationship. So honestly, okay, now let me just come back to my story. I'm, I'm 17 and I've got this Bible on my shelf that I got as a breakup gift, which was great. And I remember at 17, um, I started attending church the very Sunday after I got, gave my life to Jesus. And by the way, I've never not gone to church since I became a Christian. I've never had a season where I skipped or laid out for a while. I've just never not gone to church. I had two friends at this church. One was the girl who invited me to the the Halloween thing. And the other was the pastor's son who I had known since like middle school or sixth grade. I didn't know anything from the Bible. I didn't know anything about church. I didn't know the songs we sing. I didn't know what time to arrive. I didn't know how to dress or what to say. I had a silk shirt and I puffed my mullet out a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have mullet at that point. I, I, I noticed all kinds of new stuff. Bulletins, never heard of a bulletin before. The church had a smell. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like churches just have a smell. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? Fortunately, I think our church smells good. I didn't know where to sit in the front, in the middle, in the back, where the new guys come, when to sit, when to stand. I was so new to all of this. And I was all by myself. No one in my family came with me. I was driving, I'd like get up on Sunday morning at 17 early to get ready and go to church on my own. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of observations. I watched people a lot. I still do. I mean, there was some stuff that we did. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's fun. There was some stuff. I was like, what was that? I'll never forget the tambourine ninja. That's what I called this lady. Some of y'all have heard me tell this story before. She would get down, but on the wrong beat. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And then she'd start like dancing with this tambourine and then spin it. And I thought, you're going to cut somebody's neck off. Stop. That is a deadly weapon. And with a, the wrong white person, it is a terrible rhythmic weapon. Y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm a musician. Like, rhythms and music matter to me. Please, if you don't have rhythm, don't pick up an instrument. <laughs> Today, I want to talk to you about what's next and what's new for you as the Christian. Honestly, I think it's super important that all Christians understand what I'm going to teach on today. In fact, many of you don't even know this. Many of you have been walking with the church or you've been a part of this faith, but there's some basics that you've actually stepped over into just branding. And now I want to bring you back to some newfound basics that all of us need. And if you've been a believer for a while, this is a great message for you. It's great for you to share with your kids. It's great for you to share with your friends but I especially wanna to talk to those 200 or so people that gave their lives to Jesus last night. I, I, I want you to think of it like basic training when you sign up for the army. For all of you here that are part of the army, first of all, thank you again for your service to our country. At some part, point in your life, you had your start. You signed up, you went to a recruiter's office, you raised your right hand, you took an oath, you enlisted or become an, a, a part of the officer's candidate school, and then you went to basic training. You didn't basic train before signing up, right? Like that'd be, I mean, I know there's the gung-ho Joe that did that. They're like, I'll come in and I'm all fit and abs and stuff. But the rest of you, like you waited for basic training after you signed up. And what was great about basic training, it was, a, a, there were people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds, different ages. There were men and women, some were older, some were proficient and experts in other things. Some had come as second career people, But there were basics that you all learned at basic training and they were designed to orient you all to the same army. They were designed to be basic principles and behaviors and core beliefs about what you do and why you do it. Before you were in the army, you didn't have any of this basic training. You may have even heard about it or studied it or looked it up on your own or endured some of the the practices, but if you weren't in the army, you weren't required or expected to do any of this. But once you signed up, once you raised your hand, then because you're in the army, you show up to training. Because you're in the army, you show up to PT. You learn weapons training because you said yes to the army. You accepted an MOS because you said yes to the army. And in the same way, now that you've said yes to Jesus, We believe that you get to believe some certain things, you get to behave some certain ways, and you get to orient your life around Jesus as a result of not in order to get get saved, but because you've said yes to Jesus, you get to live a certain way. So let me just dig in first of all and remind you first, what did we say yes to? What did I sign up for? Have any of you like, maybe six months into a career, a job, or like new to the army, you go, what in the world did I do? I remember becoming pastor of this church 13 years ago, and about six months in, I called a mentor going, why did you let me say yes to this? Because back then, it was touch and go, it was tough, it was hard, it was a lot of work, and still is, but thankfully, more people are here. But, But I think it's important for you all to remember what we've said yes to. I I shared this last week, 1 Timothy chapter two. Paul the apostle writes this, he says, God our savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Notice the language here. God is our savior, you didn't save yourself. You're not your savior, your president's not your savior, your job's not your savior, money's not your savior. God's our savior. And it's he's the one who desires this. And what does he desire? All people. There's actually some people that don't believe that God wants all people saved. That's crazy to me because the Bible says something else. But it's God's desire that all people are saved and that all people come to the knowledge of the truth, that we know truth and who is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. So God's desire is for everyone to come to Christ and everyone to know Christ. For there is one God, there's one way to God or a mediator between God and people, and it's Jesus Christ. The only way to God, I said this last week, here's what you signed up for. You've signed up for the only way to get to God. This is not, I'm gonna try Christianity for a while, I'm gonna kick the bushes and see if this works. It's the only way and you have to decide to receive it by faith. It's the only way to God who gave himself as a ransom for who? Everybody. Now, let me just pause and just point out a little theology here. Some people teach, that the ransom, it's a theory in theology and it's a bad theory. There is a ransom that God had to pay. Like, like, you know, if someone's kidnapped and they call in, they say, I want a ransom of $10 million, you know, whatever. And so you pay a ransom to the kidnapper. So there's this theory that the devil basically kidnapped the world and God had to pay a ransom to the devil. Are you kidding me? God looks at the devil like, you little scrub, get off my, you know, get out of here. There was no ransom paid to the devil. The ransom was paid to God Himself by God Himself for you. So your sins have been paid for, your ransom has been covered, and it was a debt owed to God, and God said, I'll pay it for you. So it's the man Christ Jesus who gave Himself to pay the debt to Himself for all of us, which is the testimony. The the language of the Bible includes the word saved. Everybody say this with me say, I'm saved because of Jesus. Say it like you're proud of it. Say, I'm saved because of Jesus. Another iteration of this world word is salvation. If you are a Christian, you're a saved person. Well, saved from what? You have received salvation. It's God who does the saving. God's the savior. You're not the savior. Your thoughts aren't your savior. Jesus is the savior. Saved from what? We're saved from sin, and we're saved from eternal separation from God. You have to understand something. If you're saved, it's an outside act of someone doing something for you and you have to receive it. Imagine you're floating in an ocean and you've got nothing to keep yourself afloat any longer. You've been treading water for a couple hours and and you realize like the only hope you have is if someone else throws you a raft then someone else is your savior and you have to receive that raft in order to receive salvation. And the same is true. We were hopelessly drifting away from God because of sin and the condition of mankind. And God said, I'll offer salvation. I'll be their pathway back to myself. And he's thrown the life raft figuratively to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we by faith have received it, receiving salvation. And so to be a Christian is to be a saved person. There's some people that have actually rebuffed the word saved because they think it's it's negative or it's, it's hard language to call someone lost or, or far from God. That's Bible language. God's a savior and he saves. And if you've received it, you've been saved from your sin and saved from eternity, separated from God. That was his plan. Look at this. It was his desire for you before it ever became a desire for you to receive it. It was always God's desire for you. It's God's desire for everyone. Can I prove it in this text again? God who desires all people. This is why we plant churches. This is why we build buildings. This is why we keep preaching the gospel. It's why we give up our seats on an Easter to make room for other people because God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth of Jesus. At life point, we'd believe that God wants all people to be saved from their sin, saved from an eternity separated from God in hell, and we believe what Jesus taught and what the New Testament teaches, that only through Jesus and belief in and acceptance of the finished work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection can a person be saved. You're not saved through good works, you're not saved through any other religious system. No matter how good of a person you think you are, no one is saved apart from Jesus. And by the way, to think that a Christian church wouldn't say that is also crazy to me. Of course we believe that, because we're a Christian church. Amen, everybody. Ephesians 2 says, it's the grace of God that offers this. God, our Savior, desires your salvation. It's the grace of God that offers it. We didn't earn this. God proacted the whole thing. It wasn't a bunch of preachers' idea. It wasn't the idea of a bunch of religious people. It was God's idea. Revelation chapter middle says, before the foundation of the world, God planned Christ be crucified for the world. Please look that text up for me (laughs) here. It's Revelation 13-ish or so. It was always God's idea to save all people. It's always God's desire to save all people. Now, he loves you so much He gives all people the right to accept it or to reject it. But it's the grace of God that offers salvation. And look at this, Ephesians 2, by grace are we saved through faith. Here's our part. We receive it by our faith. I've heard it and I believe it and I accept it by faith. I can't see Jesus on the cross. I don't see Jesus at the right hand of the Father. But by faith, I've heard it, I'm compelled by it, and I believe it by faith to the point that I'll orient my life around it. Last week I shared this text for you, it's, it's how we take the step. Some of us have kind of dumbed down the salvation process to the sinner's prayer. Nowhere in the Bible is the sinner's prayer, by the way. I lead you in a prayer every week, but I don't know if you've noticed, it's very surrounded by the language of the scripture. You're not saved by a prayer, but you pray because you're saved. You're not saved because you say some formula, this is not incantation of God. You don't say it and then go in Jesus' name and the Lord goes, oh, I guess I'll do whatever they ask. We pray because we're receiving by faith the salvation, grace gift of God. Are you hearing me, everybody? And so I lead you every Sunday, God, I believe in Jesus that he died for my sins so I can live for him. And we say, God, I'm all in. Why do I say it like that? Well, right here, Romans 10 says, if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Okay, to confess anything, you have to have a conviction here. To confess it, like it's not just to say it, to repeat after me. this is my confession. I say this every day, I say it every hour, I say it every week, look at me everybody. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That's my confession. That's different than I believe in Jesus. It's saying I surrender to Jesus, I submit to Jesus, I follow Jesus and when you call Jesus Lord, what you're saying is he's my boss, my master, he's the one in charge of me. It's not just Jesus is my savior. Hello? Everybody loves Jesus the savior. What we don't love is Jesus the Lord. Like I want him to save me from my sin, but don't tell me how to behave in my sin. Set me free from sin, God. Please save me, but don't tell me what to do. That is the problem of mankind. That's been our problem since Genesis. God, we love this garden, and we want to do what we want. But the confession of the saved person is from the core of who we are, Jesus is Lord of my life. He's my master. He's my boss. What changed for me on Halloween of my senior year is I went from I believed in Jesus. I shifted to I will follow and and believe in him as Lord. And what I'm asking you to remind yourself of is your confession is Jesus is Lord. And I believe in all my heart that God raised him from the dead. Why would we follow a dead savior? I only believe that God raised him from the dead. I'm fully convinced of that. And look, I've done a ton of research on this because I'm a skeptic. I'm a left brain logic thinker. If it don't make sense, if the math don't add up, I don't like it. But there is a part by faith that I believe, I believe in God. I believe and know the truth of Jesus and I believe he raised from the dead for me. That is my confession. But part of that confession, look at this, is Jesus is Lord. This word believe, by the way, in the original language of the Greek, means way more than just cognitive assent. You know what I'm saying? Like if you say, you know, I I, I believe in science or I believe in this particular brand of politics or I believe in whatever... You're saying, I have a cognitive dissonance towards that, or I have, excuse me, cognitive awareness or, 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 or orientation towards a thought or a belief. But actually in the original language here in the Greek, the word that we get, the word believe, means it's a conviction to the point that we orient our life around it. It's I'm so convinced I'll adjust myself to it. I'm so committed to this idea that I'll live my life accordingly. Here's what Paul is saying. You have to make a confession that he's Lord of your life, that you've received by faith, you know, that he raised from the dead. And, and, and you're so convinced of this that it'll orient your life around it. That's the saved person. And look, I don't do that to be saved. I do it because I'm saved. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Because of his grace towards me, I orient my life around him. He says, with your heart you believe, you're justified. In your mouth you confess, you're saved. Everyone who believes in him orients their life around this conviction will not be put to shame. From the mouths we speak, from the core of ourselves. And we believe in our hearts to the point that it orients our lives around a thing. The language is that that this is how we're saved. It's not from a prayer we pray, it's a confession of the Lordship of Christ and full surrender to him. Deep abiding belief. In John chapter one, the the baptizer, John the Baptist says, um, Jesus was coming towards him and he said, behold, look at this, The Lamb of God, which is the, that's, it's it's allegory language, right? The Lamb of God, like he was the sacrificial lamb. so, So they had a sacrificial system and they sacrificed a lamb for atonement. And John has for the first time called Jesus the Lamb of or from God who takes away the sin of the world. What do we believe about Jesus? He died for our sins. He raised to give us eternal life. And he did it for who, everybody? Everybody. This is the gift of God available to everyone in the world. And we must, it has to be said and said again and heard and believed. And if your sins are forgiven, what did we sign up for? If your sins are forgiven, if you're a saved person, if you say yes to Jesus, that means you're forever different. You're saved. You're a new person. In fact, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. Whoever's in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Listen, you can say, I was born this way, get born again. I was raised this way, get born again. I feel this way, follow your new creation feelings. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Look at this, the old has passed away. I think the King James says, the old man has passed away. Behold, all things are made new, the new man has come. What's changed about the person when they meet Jesus is they're no longer who they were, they're who God sees them as. They're who the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be who you used to be. You don't have to be the old man. The old man's dead and the new man is alive. All, look at this, all of this is from God. It's not because you behaved well or you believed well enough or you bootstrapped your way to good behavior. No, 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 it's all from God. He's the, he's the protagonist in this whole thing who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. This is what we've signed up for, reconciliation to a holy God. You who you used to be is not who you are in Christ. You're a new person. To the glory of God, you are a new person. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're not just saying yes to an idea, you're saying yes to a new life. You're not just forgiven, you're saved, you're new. You're no longer who you used to be. That means you don't have to be the old person. Your true self, gets to become a new self because of Jesus. Listen, people say, you be you, you be your best you, you be your true self. That had me in a a real bound up place. But I don't wanna be my true self. I wanna be who God has called me to be, who he is making me to be. The new man is a different man. And God is doing some amazing rewriting and rewiring in your life. The old you is gone. You are new in Christ. He sees you differently and you should see you differently too. I want somebody to give a five second praise break to this because God says you're a new person in Jesus' name. The old song, Amazing Grace, makes more sense when you think of it like this. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I was a sinner, now I'm a son. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. So if you've said yes to Jesus, It's the greatest decision you've ever made. It's the greatest adventure you'll ever live. Praise God, you've said yes to him. You are forgiven, you are saved, and now you're a new creation. So look at me, so act like it. Look here, when you sign up for the army, you don't get to wear navy clothes. You don't get to show up in PT and not do the work. Now listen, you're not wearing the uniform and doing the work to get into the army, it's because you're in the army. And so nothing else I'm gonna say is to earn your salvation. It's a gift of God, it's the grace of God, it's for you to receive by faith. But now since you've received it, what do we do from now on? What do we do from now on? Now this is very important to understand. In fact, I believe religion tells you what you have to do to get to God. Christianity says "God come to you, and you receive it by faith, and then we go, so okay, then Lord, what do you want from me? Can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus in the Bible? If Jesus Christ himself came to you and was like, hey man, come follow me, like come hang with me, how many of you would be like, you know, I don't know if I'm worthy, I don't know if I've done enough to uh, get this kind of attention from you, or would you just go, yes, I'm coming? How many of you would quit your job right now to hang out with Jesus all the time? Some of y'all didn't even raise your hands. Y'all got some good jobs. (laughs) This is God's desire for every person on the planet. You ready? I'm gonna give you the central big idea for every person on the planet. It's God's desire. It's his primary instruction. It's the question I wanna ask people all the time. It's two simple words that honestly will change your life and lead every single day of your life. This is the next step for you. And by the way, this is the next step for me. This is the next step for the board member, for the longtime saint, or for the brand new I just gave my life to Jesus on Easter. It is direct. It is simply stated. It's the hardest thing you'll ever enjoy doing for the rest of your life. Follow me. Those are the words of Jesus. If you've said yes to Christ, there's one statement that should determine every part of your life, follow me. Some of us would expect if I join a church, if I say yes to Christ, now we get a pamphlet with all the rules, all the stuff we can do, all the things we can't do, which political party to vote for, who do we shame now, what rallies do we protest? This pamphlet would be very short. Follow Jesus. More than following a denomination, more than following a pastor. Look, don't follow a pastor who's not also following Jesus. Paul said it like this follow me as I follow Christ. So if I stop following Jesus, y'all better fire me or find another church. I can give you a few recommendations. <laughs> follow me. This is the repeated command of Jesus over and over and over in the Gospels, 30 plus times in the four Gospels. It's what he told every disciple. He didn't give them a list of rules. He didn't give them a bunch of policies and procedures. He gave them a simple statement, follow me, follow me, follow me, never told them where they're going, He never said what it would look like. He never said where they'd end up. He just said, you be near me. Where I go, you go. Follow me. If you say he's Lord, then that means he leads and you follow. If you're leading him, you're Lord. If you're deciding, I know the Bible says, but I refuse, then you're the Lord. But Jesus says, you follow me. It's what he told people caught in sin. It's what he told people when he healed them. It's what he told the rich young man who had everything the world had to offer. It's what he told the apostle Paul and it's exactly what he tells Christians today, follow Jesus. It is the mission statement of our church. We exist to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We're not here to build a brand around Mike Burnett or our denomination or even the name LifePoint. Hey, where do you go to church? I go to LifePoint where we exist to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. In every area of your life, follow Jesus. In your teenage years, follow Jesus. In picking a college, pray and follow Jesus. In selecting a spouse, follow Jesus. In buying a home, follow Jesus. Follow Christ in your parenting, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your sex life, in your business deals, in your company, in your job performance, follow Jesus with personal finance, personal calendaring, in your priorities. Follow Jesus with forgiveness, follow Jesus with mercy and grace and kindness. You can't follow Jesus Jesus and your flesh at the same time. You can't follow Jesus and sin at the same time. It's hard to say I'm following Jesus into this sexually immoral relationship. Moving in with your girlfriend is not following Jesus, it's following your feelings, and it's following your bank account, and it's following yourself. Follow Jesus in every area of your life. This is the call of God for you, not to just follow a list of rules, but to follow a master of our lives, the Lord Jesus. And it comes from knowing him and knowing what he says. Some of you go, what does God say about my work? Well, gotta read your word, gotta read the Bible, gotta know Jesus to know how he says to do this. But commit yourself, everybody, right now that I'm all in. I will fully follow Jesus for the rest of my life. In Matthew 16, kind of a tough text. In fact, I was wrestling like, is this this too heavy to share this passage with, with our church today, especially with new Christians, but I realized Jesus said it to a bunch of people that hadn't decided on following him yet. So if you've said yes to following Jesus, you can take this. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, not like come and follow me or be the next guy after me. He's saying, if anyone would follow me, let him or her deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Notice, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you also have to not follow you. Deny yourself. That means your impulses, your lusts, your passions. And say, man, that's, I, I feel this way. I love this stuff. I long for this, but I'm gonna deny myself. Anybody that's raised kids knows the, the pain of trying to teach people to deny themselves but as you mature, you should get better at denying yourself. But as you follow Jesus, he's gonna challenge this until the day you die. Notice he not only says deny yourself, but he says carry your cross, which is a very, very, very harsh thing to say to a group of first century people in Roman occupied Palestine, where crosses littered the streets with people dead on them. The cross was never some glorious jewelry device. It was a Roman torture device. And Jesus is saying, I want you to don't wait to carry your cross at the day of your death. Go ahead and carry it every day. Carry death to yourself. And by the way, this is one of the greatest challenges in the culture we live in today. And it has been since Genesis 3, but, but we see it a lot today because nobody wants to die to themselves. Everyone wants to explore themselves, aggrandize themselves, and be celebrated for being their true self. But Jesus said, oh, pesky Jesus. Carry your cross. And by the way, notice he says, carry your cross. You don't have to carry mine. I got to carry that. I don't have to carry your cross. You got to carry that. There will be things that weigh your cross down that don't weigh my cross down. You might have some, some sex and sexuality stuff that you have to just carry and die to yourself with that I don't have to carry. You might have some greed and envy things that you have to carry and die to yourself that I don't have to carry. I may have some anger issues or some wrath stuff or some built up third born, whatever late convert kind of anger issues that I have to carry that you don't have to carry. But we carry our own cross and watch this, and in doing so, and we follow him. Whoever he says would save, preserve, celebrate, live their own life will actually eternally lose it. And whoever loses their life, gives it up, denies himself, carries their cross, Jesus says, for my sake, we'll actually find eternal life. He goes on to say, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What does it profit you to be your true self, to pursue all your wildest dreams? That doesn't, like, here's, you know, we teach this to our kids. You can be anything you set your mind to. How about we say, You can be anything God calls you to be because we follow Jesus, not our seventh grade dreams. But we have this idea that like you go do your best life and be your best you and whatever, that's our culture. Jesus said, no, deny all of that. Die to yourself and follow me. He said, what does it profit a person to gain everything this world has to offer and then forfeit their soul?" Is this too heavy for you? Because this is the language of Jesus. I didn't write this Bible, y'all. I'm just preaching it for you. Many of us want to obey Jesus. The challenge in obeying Jesus is always the same it's obeying me. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I'm never tempted to just follow the red tailed devil. Like, he doesn't hang out in my house on Tuesday mornings going, okay, Mike, here's what we're doing today. It's never the devil, it's always me. It's my flesh, it's my eyes, it's my pride, it's my lusts. But he said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. Here's one thing you should know about following Jesus. He's the best leader you've ever followed. It's the right one to follow. I said earlier, it's simple statement, hardest thing you'll ever do. The, the only reason it's hard is not because following him is, caught, is like hard things. He's going to, you know... He'll bring you through some things, but he'll always be there with you, and he'll always lead you to a better place. Like, he'll never lead you to your destruction. You will. The reason it's hard is because we have to deny ourselves to follow him. The simplest statement that I can tell all people that want to be a Christian is follow Jesus. Follow him in every area of your life. Evaluate yourself right now. How am I doing following Jesus? And it's not just some new behavior or list of rules. He's the Lord of you, and that you're in relationship with him. So we talk to him, we listen to him, and we follow his lead because we belong to him. Remember my army people. Because we've said yes to the army, we live following a certain way. Well, because you've said yes to Jesus, now we get to follow him as Lord of our lives. It's our pleasure to follow Jesus. I've said it often, I work for God, I live for God. I follow Jesus. My favorite verse of the scripture is my tattoo verse. and I gotta finish this sermon. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So this is a text that I evaluate my life with often. Is my manner of life worthy of the gospel of Jesus? Do I look like, do I behave like? Do I treat people like I follow Christ? Do I stand for the things that Christ stands for? Truth and mercy and justice and faith? Do I do the things that Christ would have me do? Because I want my manner of life to be worthy of the Lordship of Jesus. Let me give you this last thing. So what do I do next? I said, what have I signed up for? It's sonship, daughtership, we're family of God. Uh, What do I do forever? Follow Jesus. This is your mission statement for the rest of your life. But what do I do right now? And that's where I was at when I gave my life to Christ. I was like, what do I do Sunday? How about Wednesday? How about Friday? What do I do next? So I just wanna say, I I just wanna teach you these basic training steps for you as a new Christian. For some of you, you've, you've never done these things as a Christian, and so I wanna encourage all of you to follow these steps. Matthew 28, Jesus came to the disciples after his resurrection. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. I just want you to be reminded that the one we follow is the one of all authority, actually. Like, when you go to God in prayer, just remember that he has all authority. I I follow this guy on uh, YouTube. I've just followed him for a long time. He's really funny and hysterical and And uh, he's a social critic and satirical. His name is JP. He's got a channel called Awaken with JP. And for years, he's done all this satirical stuff about culture and I just find that stuff really funny. Um, And then during the pandemic, he really was like drawn to faith in Christ. In fact, he used to reject Jesus. He used to reject Christians. He was very kind of anti-Christian and religious, spiritual, spiritual journey guy, whatever. But in the process of the last three years, he's really converted to Christ, faith in Jesus. And I was watching this weekend, his testimony of coming to faith in God. And a lot of people giving him a lot of pushback because they just did not accept, expect that. But one of the things he's saying is he's come to realize that God, that, that Jesus Christ is the one who actually has all authority in the world. And he says, when I pray and commune with God, I'm tapping into the authority structure that God has over everything. I just thought that was so brilliantly stated. And you got to remember that all authority on hev- in heaven and on earth actually rests in Jesus. So he gives these directives to his disciples. He says, go, therefore, or as you're going, make disciples, students, followers of Jesus. Look at this. From all nations, from all people groups. Nobody's exempt from all. And then he gives directions, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. So if we're gonna follow Jesus, we've got to observe what he's commanded. And he goes, and I'm gonna be with you always to the ends of the age. So because we follow Jesus, because he's our Lord, because he's our master, we submit to his authority, not only in heaven, but on earth, which is why we follow him as Christians on the planet. And we submit to his plan here. And here's some very clear directives. First of all, be water baptized. It's in the text. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you've never been baptized as a follower of Christ, today is your day. We're so excited to baptize some of you that said yes and signed up for baptism. But every one of you that's a follower of Christ has never been baptized as a Christian. It's the public expression. It's like I joined the army and then I wear the uniform. Now, all of a sudden you're identified in this family of the army. It's like the wedding ring for a married couple. This is a public symbol of an internal work of covenant between my wife and me baptism is a public expression of what God has done on the inside of you. In Romans chapter four, Paul says that baptism is an an illustration of your belief in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When you go under the water, you're identifying. Everybody wants to have their identity. Well, our identity is in Christ as Christians, and our identity is to identify with the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. In baptism, going under the water, you're saying, I'm dying with him, and I'm raising to new life with Jesus. So if you've never been baptized in water, today's your day, we got everything you need, let's do it right after service. Second, be taught. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Make disciples and teach them. So in your teaching, you need a, a Bible plan and you need a good Bible. Listen, I, I wanna encourage you, if you're new to faith and all you have is grandma's old King James Bible, you're not gonna understand it. I got a doctorate in ministry and I don't understand a lot of the King James Bible. I don't speak that language. Old English is not a useful language anymore. So let's give you a brand new Bible. Y'all hear me, everybody? We got one. It's free. These other church people paid for it. So it's your gift. And then you need a Bible plan. Please don't start on the left right away. We'll get you there. Let's start with Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, let's start with Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John's Gospels. and Let's just wash, rinse, repeat that cycle for about a year. Let's get on a Bible reading plan, read it every day. The one thing they taught me when I was a new Christian, read a chapter of your Bible every day. And then you gotta pray, build a life of prayer. Part of how you get to know God, you spend time with God in prayer. Get in his word, get in your prayer closet. I, I Stephanie and I like to say, God will speak to you through his word and you get to speak back to him in prayer. And then wait on the Lord and listen to what he says. And then if you're gonna be taught, get in a small group. Everyone in the New Testament had friends that were Christians one of the great pains of Christianity in the new in the culture we live in today we have this attitude that religion and politics are private um, first of all somebody forgot the politics is private part uh, everybody did but your faith should not be private you know why because it's a faith for all people and you will grow and be sharpened as you are in relationship with other believers no one in the New Testament didn't have Christian friends and you shouldn't either I wanna encourage every one of you to be in a small group where you can grow in a group and learn to follow Jesus. And then finally, so be baptized, be taught, and learn to do life with Jesus all the time. Every day, build your life in prayer, commune with God, talk to God all the time, spend your life, like, pray often. Paul says pray without ceasing, and I think what he's saying there is just have a prayerful mindset all the time that seeks to include Jesus in every day. And then be with Jesus by being a part of his family, the church commit to church. Remember I told you when I became a Christian, I committed, I'm never going to skip church. And I didn't do that because I wanted to pastor one, one day. I I didn't think for seven years that I was going to be in ministry. My goodness, a pastor, 10 years. I just decided I'm going to be a part of this family. How many of you know, like families have different kinds of people in them. Just commit to this church family, commit to it, man, we're here for you and we're better with you. You don't get to be my best friend and hate my wife and kids. You don't get to be close to Jesus and not be a part of his family. You go, well, church is full of hypocrites. We're not full yet. We got room for you. Church people hurt my feelings. Yeah, and so did people at Target and so did people you work with. You still go to work, don't you? I mean, come on. People will hurt you. Don't hold God hostage because some of his followers are wackadoos. Y'all hear what I'm saying, everybody? Be a part of the church. We're out of time. I need you to go get your kids kindly. Let me pray for you. Did you get anything out of this message today, everybody? Hey, if you're a new Christian, especially, this is for you. And we want to see you baptized right after this service or in the beginning of our next service. Don't leave and go, oh, I'll do it next month. I'll do it in a couple weeks. No, 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 let's go. Put that wedding ring on. Go public with your faith in Jesus. And we will stand around you and shout and cheer. God, thank you for inviting us by faith, by your grace into this family. Thank you for offering the gift of salvation. Thank you for inviting us and including us into the greatest adventure of life with Jesus. Thank you that you love us, that you're for us, that God, you are with us. Could everybody in the church please not move? Come on, can you open your hands to the Lord and pray with me? Say, God, I believe what I heard today. Come on, say it for real. I believe in Jesus, that he died for my sin, that he raised from the dead, to give me eternal life. Say, my confession is Jesus Christ is the Lord, the master, the boss of me. I'm all in for the rest of my life. Teach me, guide me, lead me in Jesus' name. I will follow you forever. Say it and mean it. God, I'm all in, in Jesus' name, amen.